Would you have drawn it up the way that it has been drawn up? Would you go, yep, everything I did and everything I've ever done and everything that's ever happened to me is just exactly how I would have drawn it up? Or might there be some things in your life that you might say, well, I drew it up this way, but God chose to do it a different way. And it's when God chooses to divert His path and your path that all of a sudden things kind of get a little murky, don't they, sometimes? No, they don't? Well, good. Well, hey, your church is in great shape. You have no need of me. Let's go get a donut. Here's what I find oftentimes is, is that our faith gets tested. You know, it talks about the trials of our faith. Faith is something that's required when God does something that we don't get, we don't understand. We still have that three-letter word, that why that's out there. God, why'd you let this happen? Why'd you let that happen? Why did cancer come into my life? And why did sickness come into my life? Disease in my life? Divorce in my life? Uh, Sometimes uh, different things take place. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know that I've done anything wrong. And I didn't intentionally make a bad decision. But oftentimes, that's where your faith gets tested. Your faithfulness gets tested. For me, it's easy, especially because I'm a preacher. I don't have a hard time being in church. I believe you should be in church. I think it's important to be in church. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I think is important about church before we get where we're going is, is that for some people, that's really all that you have the capacity to do. Maybe you're not called to preach. Maybe you're not called to sing. Maybe you're not called to to do anything, but you can be faithful. Everybody can be faithful. But it's interesting that in the last days, that begins to seem to move away over a period of time where faithfulness is not what it used to be. Yet we're faithful to work. Right? You're faithful to come home to your wife or your husband. That's, a, you got, that's when you do this, guys. You missed a chance there. That was, that was like, you just flipped her out. She's like, you come home because you love her. Right? Or it's cheaper to keep her. Which is it? I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not, it's kind of, you're, you're flipping me out here, bro. I'm really kind of like, I don't know. But, but, but listen to me, try to, try to grab a hold of what I'm saying. Sometimes God allows things to happen in your life and there's really no explanation for it. And sometimes we know all things work together for good of them, love God, them that are called according to His purpose. We understand that verse. I didn't say, well, I said we know the verse, we just don't know that we always understand it because there's certain things that happen that if we had a chance to draw it up differently, I'm going to say we'd probably draw it up differently. I have some things that have happened in my life, some losses that have occurred in my life, and I know that God does those things and allows those things for my benefit, but I've got to be honest with you, while I'm going through it, my faith gets really stressed a lot, stretched out a lot. I get sort of stressed out about the fact that, Lord, if this is for my good, I wish you'd hurry up and show me how. I've had some things that have happened and some losses that have occurred. I, I'm still not sure that I understand why it occurred. Too often what we do is we look for the good in it instead of what's right about it. See, we've gotten to a generation where people don't do what's right to do anymore. The first thing they do is, what's in it for me? In our generation of men, for instance, what we're going to talk about tonight, has gotten to the point where we're devoid of that manhood. We don't have the fortitude that we used to spiritually. Look, I'm not at all surprised that the nation has now gone to this transgendered. I'm not really sure what I am and who I am and all that stuff. In spite of being able to check the plumbing, now it's like, well, I'm going to wait you grow up and decide what it is. And birth certificates, would they leave the mark off until they let the kid decide what they are? There's this spiritual confusion. I mean, this confusion, but there's been spiritual confusion lately. And the spiritual confusion lately, gentlemen, has been this. We are the ones that have been gelded spiritually. We're no longer the men in our households, the spiritual leaders in this nation. No longer are we the ones. So guess what? We've been feminized. Now, I love the women. Don't misunderstand me. But as go the men, so goes the country. And now all of a sudden the women are stepping up. You say, why? Well, don't you know about women? If you've been around women at all, they cannot stand dead air. A woman that has dead air, if, I, if I'm quiet long enough, the first one to start talking in here will be... You got quiet all of a sudden on me. <laughs> you know what happens? It's because they feel like, well, I need to fill the space. Now listen to me, while that may be funny or whatever, men have been quiet far too long when it comes to spiritual things. 
And as a result, then all of a sudden you've left the decisions up to the women. And the women have become, in some instances, more spiritual. And the kids follow the women to church because the husband's out playing golf or basketball or football or sitting in the chair. Or he's out hunting or he's out fishing and those kind of things. And then you wonder what happens to the country or the nation that winds up being there. Your leaders are now feminized. And now everything's changed. And all you're doing is looking at an end result of what happened. We got away from what God told us to do. And that is we as men are supposed to be the leaders. And guess what? We're supposed to be able to take that persecution and that suffering and that difficulty. And we're supposed to set the standard and take it cheerfully. We're supposed to be men. And we get up in the morning and we work. And we get up in the morning and we uh, do the things that we're supposed to. And can I say this? If one of our kids was hurt, we'd leave work or we'd do whatever we had to. If we had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning or take them to the hospital, that's what men do. We miss out on sleep. Is that right? Except for Sunday. We miss out on sleep. If you've been up half the night but you're going hunting the next morning... You're going to get up if you fall asleep in the stand and fall out of the stand. You're still going to get up because you want to go hunting. But come Sunday, all of a sudden that changes. You're here to preach a revival. I am. I'm getting to that in just a second. But you've got to wake up what's dead before you can get around to you know, getting a revival. And it's the men that are dead. I mean, think about this. Men, when was the last time your church saw you, all the men, at the altar praying for the women and the children? It's like the Titanic around here. It's not women and children first anymore. It's the men. There ain't no room for the women and children anymore. And we're all safe and floating down the ocean and doing okay. And the women and the children are going down with the ship. I think this nation is devoid of spiritual testosterone, not to make a correlation there. But the problem is, is that manhood has become something that you think is settled at the end of a gun or with a big bicep or how much you can bench or something like that. And the spiritual fortitude that is shown by our forefathers in that Bible doesn't seem to exist much anymore. And now you can tell it because when a preacher gets up and preaches what the Bible says, like your pastor does, and some of these gentlemen here that I know, people, you know what they do? They leave. It isn't the women leaving. It's the men. Now, you're not going to talk to me like that. You're not going to talk to me like that. Okay. You had not read your Bible very much. The Lord's pretty straightforward. I'm not getting on to you. I'm just kind of getting warmed up. I'm just kind of, you're making me nervous. I'm already sweating in here. I feel like a, you know, I'm a peacock in a sardine can tonight. <laughs> And I'm, you know, you just, you make me a little bit nervous and I got nothing to back up on. So I guess you can have me for lunch tonight or tomorrow. But, but, but listen to me, I'm going to show you an example tonight, but sometimes God does things and what you might miss in the story, although the story is a good story is the character that it took for this individual to make it to where God would have him to be. And what I admire about this man in the Bible, that in 152 or so particulars in the Bible, he's like Christ. He's not a mama's boy, as one, uh, 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 excuse me, this donkey uh, said not long ago, made this boy that I'm going to talk to you about, made him out to be some kind of a mama's boy. He ain't no mama's boy. I'll show you some things he went through that I'm telling you right now. It requires a backbone like a saw log to be able to get through it. But that's missing in manhood nowadays. The first thing we'll put down is something spiritual. You'll put that down quicker than you'll put down a beer or a cigarette. You'll put it down quicker than you'll put down the television or a hunting rifle. You'll put it down quicker than a fishing rod or even your job if you're addicted to working hard and things like that. I guarantee you, you'll put spiritual things down before you'll put down your reputation. I got a couple of nods from the ladies. You men are kind of, well, preacher, you're up north. I've been coming up here far too long, man. You're not fooling me. You do shout. You at least get emotionally charged up when these kids got up here and sang. That was real good. I mean, that was, and then these young'uns over here go to singing, and then you applaud for that. And you, you got, you're emotional. Don't tell me you're not emotional. That's your way of saying, you know, we'll let you know if we like you or not. <laughs> Whether you like me or not, you can't escape what I'm going to tell you tonight. I'm going to tell you what the truth is. But then while I'm done with the thing, what's going to happen is, is the Lord's going to have you check your own dipstick and find out if you're a court low or not. Ain't it funny how the Lord comes by, He don't ever check you when the oil's full? Why do they call it a revival? That puts a lot of pressure on me. Revival, you mean it's already dead? You ever given CPR to somebody? 
That's a blessing. You ought to have. You ought to do that, <laughs> with the exception of one fireman in here. You ought to do that. I had an elderly lady that passed out. She's on her porch there. It was a hot July afternoon, and I pulled up there and rescue wasn't there yet. And we got good rescue squad there. They're usually beat you to the call. And I got there, and she's there, and she's passed out, and I'm looking at her and that kind of thing, and I'm thinking, well, I guess I better. And and so the first thing I did was is I started to give her compressions. I'm just so glad I didn't start with breathing into her mouth and tilting her head back and do that kind of stuff because right when I got ready to do that, she spit out a plug of tobacco that'd choke a horse, man. <laughs> she caught her breath and she said, well, th- thank you, I sure appreciate that. She said, uh, I knowed something was wrong. <laughs> yeah, you were dead. I mean, you know. <laughs> I got ready to walk off the porch. She said, before you leave, where's my plug? I thought, no, I gotta go, man. I had a strong stomach, but I, mm mm. The rescue got there and said, What do you think? And I said, Y'all can take care of him, man. I gotta go over here. <laughs> but you know what I find out? I find out sometimes something gets stuck between us and the Lord and it just can't get dislodged. And we need so bad to just take in a good, long, deep breath and be able to go on about our rat killing. Take your Bible. You've heard the story before. It's a familiar story. Uh, it's a story about a name with a boy with a coat of many colors. Genesis 37. Now you've heard the story. You probably heard a sermon on it or two before. I preached a sermon up here not too awful long ago along these lines, but it bears repeating because it's worth saying it's in the Bible. You ever notice that about the Bible? It's the same stories all the time. He doesn't change it just because you think you might get bored with it. You know, the interesting thing is, is I keep reading it, keep reading it, keep reading it, and I'm thinking somebody added something to the text because I read stuff in there and I'm thinking I never saw that before or either I got Alzheimer's one. How, how does he put that stuff in there? I'm reading this thing one time, and they asked me, we had a big deal at the church there. We had, uh, you know, uh, uh, vacation Bible school, and they were going to do Noah's Ark. Preacher, what do you think about putting up a rainbow? I said, put up a rainbow. They said, well, you know what a rainbow stands for? I said, it stands for that for them, but don't stand for that for me. When I'm going to talk about a coat of many colors here, don't turn that into a queer coat. There's no question this boy's all male. And if you have any doubt, a little bit later on, Pharaoh gives him a woman to be married. A woman. Don't let him pick and choose. He had to know who he was. And Pharaoh wouldn't be giving away his daughter to a queer. Do y'all don't say that word up here anymore? What, what, do you, what do you call him? Did you see that? It's like you, you've gotten politically correct all of a sudden. You get nervous about that. The Lord is going to burn this country for that. He burned four cities for it. Adma and Zeboa and Sodom and Gomorrah. And then a little bit later on, uh, the city that Lot fled to, I'll think of it in just a minute, he wound up burning that one too. He said, well, preacher, you know, I, look, I didn't say go out there and be rude and, and mean and crass to them and that kind of a thing. But I'll be jumped if I'm going to let them come in and dictate to me what a rainbow is supposed to mean. A rainbow means God said I'm not going to curse this land and flood it with water anymore. That's a blessing to me. I don't care what they say about it. The Catholics misuse the Lord's Supper. If you're Catholic, I don't mean to, yeah, I do, I mean to offend you. (laughs) You didn't have any sense when you were there. You didn't know any better. You think a wafer and wine is going to save you. You knew it didn't save you. Come on, man. There ain't no way you thought, you know. (laughs) You could do that in a bar on Friday night. You you knew good and well that didn't get you. And somebody putting a cross on you and all that kind of a deal. That mm, You knew. You knew in your heart you knew. You wouldn't be sitting in a Baptist church tonight on a Monday night. There's no way you'd be sitting here right now if you thought that's how you got in. You'd still be doing it. You know you can't get in except through Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's the only way that you get in. But you know what? Just because they misuse the Lord's Supper and the ordinance that it's intended for doesn't mean I'm going to quit doing it. I got people back home. They still believe baptism saves you. I ran into one of them a couple of weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, I guess now. I was talking to somebody, and he just happened to be eavesdropping on the conversation. Eve has a tendency to do that sometimes. Anyway, she's talking, you know, he's over there listening. You'll get that in a second. And, and, uh, and he said, you know, I heard y'all talking about uh, so-and-so. And I said, yes, sir. And he says, well, you know, the Bible said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. I said, are you saved? And he said, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I've been baptized. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, have you ever lost it? 
And he said, well, you know, probably done some things I shouldn't have done, you know, and I reckon, you know, I probably lost it. I said, well, baptism saves you, right? He said, yeah, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, now shall receive the Holy Ghost. And I said, okay. I said, let me ask you this. Did you lose it? He said, well, yeah, I lost it. I said, did you get rebaptized?" <laughs> man, you, you should have seen him, man. He's kind of like. I said, why didn't your preacher tell you that? If baptism saves you and you lost it, you better get dunked again or have the priest come stand by the bathtub when you get in the bath in the morning. He said, I don't know about that. I said, well, thank the Lord I don't have to get baptized to be saved. And I, he said, well, what do you mean? And I gave him a little bit of the gospel, that kind of stuff. And I said, you know what the problem, though, is you're so contaminated by what you've always wanted to believe, you won't listen to what I'm trying to tell you. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. But I'm not going to quit baptizing when somebody wants to make a public profession of faith and get up there to show other people that are lost. I have people come to baptism before they ain't been in a church since they were born. Some of them since they were christened when they were about eight or ten days old. They hadn't been in a church. They'll come to a baptism, man. They're instilled in that idea. And they come in there to the baptism. They're looking for the water to be sprinkled and the baby to holler and all that kind of stuff. And they see you up there and they slap them down. You know, the head of the back. That's how you get baptism, right? Back of their head goes, bap, hits the back of the water. And then when you pull them up, that robe kind of goes, tism. That's how you get that. <laughs> And that's where baptism comes from. And, but they'll come to that thing. Well, you've got a great opportunity to present the gospel. The whole picture's right in front of them. That's Paul. Don't let a Mormon tell you otherwise. That's Paul telling you that I'm being baptized for the dead. That's the dead. That's not going up there with the 12 oxen surrounding the thing in Salt Lake City and your secret underwear on. Help me, Jesus. Y'all are a little tight. You say, they didn't know that. Yeah, go read about that. That's some weird stuff, man. But anyway, they go up there and they put you in that thing and then you get baptized for all your kinfolk that you don't think are saved. You get baptized for the people that have already died and gone on and they use that passage. Boy, you talk about not rightly dividing, man. Can you imagine if you had a family of a hundred people that you knew were dead? Man, you'd look like a prune when you came out of that thing. Yeah, one. How many you got? Two. Three. Ninety-nine. One hundred. That'd be a rough thing. Are you looking at that story there, Joseph? Father, I pray you bless your word tonight and uh, help me, Lord, to help these folks. I pray you'll just use me as a funnel out to run through. I know a lot of these folks have heard these messages before and these things before, but God, would you help us show us something new and fresh, something encouraging, if you would, please, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Look at that passage right there. Let me uh, read you just the first few verses of it. This is a story of Joseph, and uh, I'm going to read you a few things, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. They're rhetorical in nature. These are the generations, verse number two of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old, he's a young buck, feeding the flock with his brethren, the lad, uh, the son, excuse me, uh, and the lad was with the sons of Billa and with the sons of Zilpha, the father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. That means he told the truth, he's not spreading gossip. Daddy would have said to him naturally when he came up, what are your brothers up to? And he said, well, Daddy, they're supposed to be tending the sheep, but they ain't tending the sheep. And they're supposed to be out in the field, but they ain't in the field. They're over in a bar room. That's the story he's talking about. Joseph was a truth teller. And he was willing to tell the truth. I'll show you that born out in a little while. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of old age and made him a coat of many colors. And his brethren saw his father loved him more than all the brethren. And they hated him and could not speak peacefully unto him. Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to the brethren. And they hated him the more. Now I want to ask you just a couple of questions. I'll move through this thing as quickly as possible to come down to an end point here. But let me ask you this question. Uh, what is it that Joseph did that caused his dad to love him more than his brothers? It doesn't say. All it says is he loved him more because he was the son of his old age. That was the decision that Jake made to love him. It had nothing to do with Joseph. He didn't have anything to do with it at all. He was just highly favored because his father liked him. Secondly, let me ask you this. What did Joseph do to earn the coat? Did he order it? Did he ask for it? I want a tweed and I want certain colors in it. Was it striped? Was it tweed? Was it uh, woven together? What did, he, what did he do? Whatever that coat was, it, just, it definitely made him distinct from his brothers, right? It's a special coat. What did he do for it? He didn't do anything for it. 
By the time you get down through the first few verses, you know what happens? He winds up having a dream. Could you tell me what he did to ask for that dream? Nothing. Nothing. But you know what the result was and what he got out of that? His brothers hated him. His brothers hated him because his father loved him. His brothers hated him because his father gave him a coat. And his brothers hated him because he dreamed a dream that God gave him. And guess what? You find the first thing of great importance that sometimes God puts his hand on you and people hate you for it and you didn't do anything wrong. And you have to be careful when you get put in that position not to become a people pleaser and try to gain everybody's like and everybody else, especially with the stuff going on today with social media. You are not raised to be having a hundred people look at you every day to determine whether or not you should wear this or wear that, what's popular and what isn't popular, how's my hair look and how do my duck lips look today and how's my eye makeup and which face am I going to wear and how am I going to fix this and how am I going to fix... You will wind up having a wardrobe big enough to fill this entire room because everybody's not going to like you. Why? Because they don't even know you. Some of you, you're just pretty. They don't like you because you're pretty. You didn't ask to be a, a pretty. Now, some of you ugly, I don't know. You couldn't have asked to be that ugly. <laughs> I mean, you girls, I feel sorry for you. I mean, you're some good girls here, but there ain't much pickings around here. I mean, I'm just <laughs> telling you. Some of these guys, man, y'all way above their league. I mean, you know, maybe unless they're, you're blind in one eye and can't see out of the other one. That's what a fellow said to me. He met my wife, and he said, that's really a blessing, man. He said, how long have you been married? I said, 44 years. And he said, my goodness, man. He said, where's her dog? I said, her dog? And he goes, yeah, her C&I dog. It's obvious she was blind when she married you. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes you can do what's just right to do, and because God's just seen fit to favor you, to bless you, to give you a certain ability, a certain gift, or something like that, like he gave Joseph a coat, people are just not going to like you because they see God's hand on you. Joseph comes along and his daddy asks him what's going on there. And as he comes through that story there, he tells him what happens. He wakes up one morning, he's stirring his Cocoa Puffs, Rice Krispies, Frosted Flakes, Fruit Loops or whatever. I can't use Fruit Loops anymore, man. I mean, you know your nation is in a bad thing when you go from a Wheaties box to a box of Fruit Loops and the guy on the front is a decathlon winner. You better laugh at that one. That's funny. Jenner out there winning all that stuff and he's got to be on a box of Fruit Loops now. He can't be on Wheaties no more. <laughs> I had to just clarify it a little bit. My poor wife, you know what she says? She said, honey, when you have to explain it to them, it's really not funny. I said, yeah, but they laugh. She goes, honey, it's a pity laugh. It's just not funny. <laughs> But you know what winds up happening? He goes and dreams a dream and he's over there picking around and whatever he's having for breakfast that morning. And as he gets to picking around and that stuff, uh, his brothers are you know, looking around and they're thumping each other on their table as boys will do and throwing a biscuit across the table and all that. And his daddy says, what's eating you, boy? And he says, southern daddy. And he says, what's eating you, boy? And he said, well, I dreamed a dream. He said, what'd you dream? He said, well, I was out in the field. We were working in some sheaves out there and there's one sheaf over here. It seemed like a little special sheaf, and these other ones are over here. And how many were there? Well, there were 12 of them. And the brothers all look up and, yeah. And they say, well, all of those sheaves over there bowed down to this sheaf over here. Let me guess, Joseph, you're the star of that show. Can I ask you a question? Which one of you dreams a dream and you ain't the star of it? <laughs> but you know what the Bible said? They hated him. He didn't ask for the dream. And he told him about it. I'll bet you he got a lot of ridicule, wouldn't you think? He goes to sleep another few nights later and wakes back up the next morning. And this time he's going to learn to be quiet. And he gets up in the morning and he walks around there. And his daddy recognizes that same look on his face. And he's getting ready to sit down at the table. And all them boys are sitting there getting ready to go out and tend the sheep. And he says, all right, what's wrong with you? And another dream. And he said, well, yes, sir, I had a... I had another dream. See, in those days, dreams were a big deal. Dreams meant somebody was looking out for you. Dreams were a way of prophesying. It meant God favored you above other people. Amen. God didn't give everybody those kind of dreams. And these people are recognizing God's hands on that boy, and they're envious of that. They're jealous of that. As a matter of fact, it goes from jealousy, and it goes from hatred to envy, which is what they did with the Lord. And they said, well, what'd you dream? Well, I mean, I kind of had a little bit of a, of a dream there, and we were up in heaven. Oh, yeah, what was going on? Well, there's a bunch of stars up there, and the sun and moon, but there's this one 
special star, twinkle, twinkle, little star. It was over there. And yeah, and what happened? Uh, well, all of the stars and the sun and the moon bowed down. And Jake jumps in and says, hey, boy, that's me and your mama you're talking about. And if you think for one minute I, as the patriarch of this family, is going to be bowing down to you, you've lost your mind. And his brothers thumped him each other, and yeah, here we go, man, here we go, that kind of a deal. But Jake paused and thought about it a minute in that next verse, and now he's thinking, well, what if that is true? What if there's more to the picture than I can see? Well, he comes on down through that thing, and the boys are down there, supposed to be around Dothoth down there, and he says to his son Joseph, he said, go down there and feed your brothers, and uh, take them some cheese and some bread and some things like that, raisins and some dates and that kind of a deal, and go down there and feed your brothers. These are the ones that hated him, the ones that envied him, the ones that, that had uh, bad intentions for him. You know, it's a strange thing. We don't get to pick who we feed. You can't just feed people you like. You have to learn to feed people even if people hate you. I know many of you probably got saved. Maybe you came from the streets. Maybe you came from a bad background. I wasn't raised that way. I can't really relate to that other than what I did for a little over 20 years. I understand it vicariously, but I never did that, that kind of a deal. I would imagine there's a lot of people that you despise, a lot of people that you hate, a lot of people it's easy for you to just not like somebody because of the position that they have in life or whatever it might be. I guess it would be that way. Well, those boys are down there in Dothan, and Daddy says, you go down there and feed them. And he goes down there to feed them like that, and and they see him coming from a distance over there. And he gets down there. Before he can even get there, they see him before he sees them. And they say, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that smart aleck. Here comes that punk, man. You can see that coat standing there glowing like a fluorescent light bulb. And here he comes. Look at him strolling down the street down there. That stinking boy. I tell you what, let's do. And they conspire against him to kill him. Can I ask you a question? What has Joseph done into the story up to this point to make his brothers hate him? You can't find anything in there. And now he's coming to feed them, and the very one bringing food to them, they're wanting to kill him. You see, Christians, sometimes the fact is there's a spirit in individuals you're trying to help, and that spirit in them picks up on the spirit inside you, and they despise you because you're the one carrying the bread of life inside you, and you're going to feed them, and they don't even realize how hungry they are, and they despise you for it, and when they see you coming, without them even realizing it, that old demon rises up inside of them, you know what it wants to do? It wants to kill you. And if it can't kill you the way it wants to kill you physically, it'll slander you, it'll make fun of you, it'll mock you, it'll put pictures up about you, it'll lie emails and all that other kind of slander and stuff will come out, text messages will come out and all that kind of stuff. A lot of what you take is because of who's inside you, the bread of life. And he shows up and he says, hey guys, how are you doing? It's an interesting part of the story, I don't have time to go into it, but uh, the, the, he goes down to Dothan where the boys are supposed to be. But they ain't where they're supposed to be. And there's an old farmer down there, and he says, What you doing down here, boy? And he said, I came down here to find my brothers. They're supposed to be tending some sheep around here somewhere. And he said, That bunch of jacklegs, man, that bunch of jaybirds, they ain't been around here at all. He said, They blew through here. They're going over yonder to Shechem down there, some big party place, some big bar down there. Uh, they ain't enough grass down there to feed one, let alone that big old flock of sheep. Your daddy must be pretty well off. Yeah, my daddy's pretty well off. He's, he's doing pretty good. Well, because they're, they're down there in Shechem. He goes on down there. You know what happens? The first thing they think is, you know what's going to happen? As soon as we, Daddy finds out we're not in Dothan where he told us to be, we're in Shechem, that boy's going to go back and tell Daddy on us. Let's kill him. Dreamer. Us bowing down to him. We'll show him who's boss. Boy, you know what happens? You come down that passage in an old Schofield and come back up to the top of that next passage there. You know what you see? That Bible said they stripped Joseph and threw him in a pit. By the way, do you know what the end of the dream is? In the end of the dream, he's the star in one and he's the sheath in the, other, sheath in the other one. And you know what happens? He winds up being the king and everybody's bowing down to him. God showed him that in a revelation. Just like you're on the way to the palace up there, God showed him that's where you're headed. But let me ask you a question. Up to this point right now, could you ask me, uh, answer me this? If that's the way you were going to be getting to the palace, you reckon you'd take a detour in the pit? I mean, if I was drawing it up, I wouldn't put myself in a pit. Not intentionally. And you know what happens? He's down there stripped, probably got on a loincloth, if that at all. They took that coat. They despise that coat. They can't wait to strip him of that righteousness and strip him of anything clean and all that. They can't wait to dirty him up. And off into the pit he goes. Can I say this? A pit is a great place to quit. Yeah. 
You say, what? The pit I talked to you about when we first started a couple of minutes ago. That pit of disease, good place to give up on the Lord. Lord, why me? Why'd this happen to me, Lord? I don't have an answer for you. Lord, I eat all organic and I exercise and I've done everything I can and I never smoked and I never drank and I never did drugs and I've lived a clean life. Why me? Good place to quit. Depression, great place to quit. Elijah quit. We talked about him, I think, last year. I believe we talked about Elijah. Elijah's under a juniper tree. He's at the end of his rope. You know what he said? It's enough, Lord, let me die. I won't go into all the details there, but depression's a very real thing. I don't care what anybody tells you. Depression can drive you to the point of despair, and that despair can drive you to the point of death. And you pause and think about it. I know preachers that have sat there spinning a gun and thinking about it after a Sunday night service. Well, I'm no good, and I'm not getting nothing done, and I got nothing but trouble, and I got nothing but problems. And if you were to look at them on the outside and the size of their churches and the things they look like they got going on, man, you think to yourself, man, he's got the tiger by the tail, man, and about ready to make a, 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 a bathrobe out of him. And you're thinking, man, I'm telling you, that guy's got it, and he's sitting there with a gun in his mouth. Christian, saved, blood-bought, born again. Hallelujah, glory to God, going to heaven. Pressure. Pit's a great place to quit. Jeremiah's down the pit and you're stinking and sinking. You're down there in the bottom of that pit, man. And you know what Jeremiah said? I ain't preaching no more. You say, why? He's in a pit. I've seen many a preacher get in a pit. I'm using preacher just as because that's my contemporaries. I've seen many a preacher's wife ready to quit. Probably more of them than otherwise. You say, Being married to a preacher ain't easy. They get the brunt of a lot of things that people don't like about the preacher. And oftentimes, they're the one greasing the wheel and keeping the thing running. A little dead, dead air there. But you know what can happen? You're down there in that pit, and there's no bread. And there's no water. And it's dark. And it's cold. And the very people you're trying to help are eating the food you brought them. And they're laughing and thinking, we'll just kill him right there or leave him there for the wild animals to get him. I don't know how you'd respond. I've seen individuals that have uh, disabilities and things that will last them their entire life. I don't know how they go to church. Come to church and sit in wheelchairs. Come to churches at 80-something years young. Tied to an oxygen bottle. I mean, I know most of them, instead of coming to church and what they do, they don't sit at the house. I've known people twisted up like a pretzel, stand in the pulpit and slobber all over the pulpit and do their best to preach. I'm glad the Lord didn't give me that pit yet anyway. I don't know what will happen if it does come, but I don't know that I'd be doing anything. I don't know that I'm strong enough to do that. I know this, I've had some pits in my life. And I know you know what happens. You're standing in that pit and the next thing you know, you think, well, you know what, it's enough. There's no, no point in me even being around. And Joseph's down there in that pit and he's 17 years old and he's bawling and he's squalling and he's crying and he's upset and he's thinking to himself, I'd be thinking this, Lord, you gave me these dreams, you gave me the coat, you gave me my father's love, I haven't done anything to deserve this at all, you told me I was headed to the palace and I'm there in the pit, I'm sorry, they're going to kill me and I'm sure of it. Lord, it didn't work out the way you had it drawn up. And doubt begins to seep in. It would for me. Yeah, but he's Joseph. Yeah, but he's 17. He ain't Pharaoh's uh, second hand yet. You know you're at the end of the story. Let me ask you this question. When you're in the pit, how do you think? Praise the Lord, glory to God. Hallelujah, you're going to shout my way out of this one. Or do you pick up the phone and call somebody and say, Hey, man, <laughs> you need to pray for me, man. I've about had enough. I'm hanging my spurs up. I'm done with the whole thing. I mean, you know, sometimes what happens is expectations kills us, doesn't it? I mean, we love the Lord, we believe the book, we try to do our best we can do, and trouble comes our way, and the bank account gets drained out, and the people are calling and collecting bills, and the car's busted, and the roof's leaking, and the kids are prodigal, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, if that's what I get, I can get that out in the world. I, did, I had that much trouble when I was lost. Come on, help me a little bit now. What do you think he's thinking? Man, it's a funny, funny way to get me to the palace, man. What would you put me in the pit? About that time, you know, they're getting ready to kill him. And uh, about that time, a prison wagon comes running by. Who would have thought that's the better of the choices? 
And here come some Ishmaelites there, come along the way, and they uh, get ready to get there. The boys flag him down, and Reuben opens up his mouth and says, hey man, let's don't kill him, let's sell him. And so they decide they're going to go ahead and sell him. And that boy, if I could paint, boy, I'd have him looking through the bars, a little old skinny runt that he was at 17 years of age. I'd have him sitting there laughing and joking and kicking his coat around there before they put the goat's blood all over it, man, and laughing and holding it up and all that. And he's saying, come on, guys, okay, joke's on me. (laughs) Come on, guys, don't do this to me, man. Come on now, I'm your brother. Uh, Come on, man. I mean, I'd have him bawling and squalling, man. Tears just running down that old dust-covered face, man. I'd have him shaking like a dog trying to get rid of a peach seed. I mean, I'm telling you, man, I'd have him just trembling and shaking. And as prisoners do, they'd be shoving him out of the way and get out of my way and trying to establish a pecking order. And they speak a different language. They're a different color. And he has no idea where he's going. He's going to a country he's never even seen before. 17 years old? Talk about a mission trip, man. I mean, good night. He didn't even ask to go. You say, well, surely he's rejoicing because he's not going to get killed. Well, I don't know. Prison can be a pretty tough place, can't it? We were in a prison one time and we got through there and got to the end of the thing. There's a guy there. We got to go to death row there in Florida, Florida State. And we were down there and finished with the thing at death row and all that. And there's a, a black fellow that's there. And uh, he came up and he said, you remember me from last year? And I said, yeah, man, I remember you. I sure do. And he said, uh, hey, can I get some tracks, man? I said, can you get some tracks? I said, you are only allowed to have three pieces of information down there. He goes, I'm the track man, man. They let me have tracks. And I said, well, you better check with the the chaplain to make sure. And the chaplain said, no, no, it's okay. And I said, what are you going to do with all these tracks? I mean, you can't go in general population. You're on death row and all. He goes, and he says, well, what I do is they let me go into the AIDS ward. And the old preacher was standing right here and he turned around and he said, the AIDS ward? And the fellow said, yes, sir, I go into the AIDS ward. And he said, I pass out the tracks. And he said, I go in there and I minister to them all the time. I, I, I try to get them saved and all that kind of stuff. And the old preacher said, well, aren't you afraid you'll get it? And he said, you mean I might get out early? <laughs> I never forgot that guy. You mean I get out early doing what? Passing out? Prison can be a rough place, man. You ever pause to think about that? That boy is scared to death. He has no idea. And people are talking. He doesn't know what they're saying. I mean, imagine what that would be like. He pulls up down there in the middle of the town square and everybody comes rushing out there, man, and they pull him out there. He's no better than a cow. And they pull him out there and stand him out there and he's got on nothing but just a loincloth. And they're coming around. They're poking on him and they're pulling on his skin. They're raising up his lips and looking at his teeth and those kind of things and grabbing hold of his tongue with a rag and pulling it out there and looking at him at that kind of a deal. And old Captain Potiphar comes walking by there and he's looking around and he said, man, look what the cat drug in. What in the world is that? We don't know, boss, but uh, we got him from some guys out there in the desert. We can't understand anything he's saying. Don't know where he's from. I know he's a different color, and he looks different and talks different. And he don't have much to say. He just cries all the time. He's like a little punk. I don't know what's wrong with him. I, I, I don't know if I'd mess with him. Potter says, well, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I might be able to do something with him there. He kind of looks at him for just a little bit there. And he says, uh, I'll take him. How much you want for him? And he buys him. And he takes him down there to the prison house. And before long, the Bible says, And God was with Joseph. And the captain saw it. And he put him in charge of his house. That's a big upgrade from the pit. But it's a long way from the palace. By the way, if I forgot to tell you, he's on the way to the palace. But he's fixing to make a detour. Can I say this to you? There's no record, even though we know from looking at Joseph's life that God was with him, there's no record that he told Joseph that. Sometimes it'd be a whole lot easier for me, I'm probably weaker than most of you, if when I'm going through a trial and I'm in a prison and I'm trying to fight to get out, it'd help me if the Lord would say, Hey, I'm right here with you. I read my Bible and I pray. But I'd like to hear that still small voice. 
I, I know this is him speaking to me. I'm just forgive me. My faith is weak. It's not like y'all, y'all are like, hey, God's in it. Praise the Lord. I'm good with God being with me when the seas are smooth. But when it ain't, I'd like for him to go, I got this. We're all right. He don't say that. I'm supposed to just believe he's there. Like, could you make a, an appearance or something? I don't blame for Jews looking for a sign. I'd like to see one every now and then. I mean, a little one. Well, God bless you. I'm sorry you wouldn't. <laughs> You're going through trouble, Lord. Can you show me the end of the rope? Can you help me? And all of a sudden, he's there. And Mrs. Potiphar, you know the story. I won't spend long here. And she comes up and tries to get that young buck to get in the bed with her and he said, no man, boss man, I get on to me and you're the boss man's wife and I'm not doing that and that'll betray him and my God, I can't do it. Um, come on, Joseph, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, you say your God's with you? You're out there trying to take care of your own family and they were gonna kill you. And then they put you in a pit and then they sold you into slavery. Come on, your God's with you. You're worried about offending your God? Well, that's a strange God, man. If you call that taking care of you, God's taking care of you. You got cancer. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. God's taking care of you. And you're in divorce court. God's taking care of you. Your kids, grandkids, great-grand-youngins, they're out there in the world with a needle in their arm. God's taking care of you. And your mortgage ain't paid. And your bills aren't paid. And everybody's turned their back on you. God's taking care of you. That's what she'd say. Hey, hey, have a little fun, Joseph. Lord knows you ain't had none. No fun whatsoever. Hey, nobody in the house. All the men are out. Just me and you. I won't tell if you don't tell. Joseph says, nope. He lost a second coat. The captain comes home that day and pulls up in his squad car into the back there by the where they park the Bentleys and stuff and he walks into the room there. Man, everybody is scattering like roaches when you turn on a light in the middle of the night and they're in there running around and he's thinking, man, what in the world's going on? And he can hear her screaming in the background, bloody murder, man. I mean, you know, I realize some of you men are married to angels. A lot of times that happens, you know. They're always up in the air harping about something, so... <laughs> He figures, yeah, boy, what's going on now, man? I mean, good night. Somebody said something. Somebody did something. Something's going on. And he goes in there and he sees the cook. And, hey, man, how you doing? Hey, boss, how you doing? What are we having for dinner tonight? Oh, we're having a little bit of stewed lamb and this and that and the other and so on and so forth. What's the missus upset about? Hey, I'm, I'm talking to you. Sir, what you say, sir? No, I, I'm sorry. I, I got to get the biscuits out of the oven. You don't want no burnt biscuits, boss, you know. And he goes over there and he's thinking, man, what in the world is going around? He comes in there and she comes out and she holds up that coat and says, that stinking Hebrew you brought in here, he ain't good for nothing, man. Let me just tell you what he tried to do to me. Now I'm going to ask you boys something real quick, okay? If you had the power and somebody had abused your wife in this way we're talking tonight, and you had the power and you wouldn't go to jail for it. And the price of the individual wasn't worth more than a dog. Do you think you might take him out back and have a little come to Jesus meeting with him? If you wouldn't, you ain't got a bit of red blood in your bones. I mean, Potiphar can kill him and no, nobody's going to say anything. A slave is not worth any more than a dog. He didn't have any problem with that. And so he comes out there and he calls Joseph in there. And Joseph, this is what my wife said you did. Remember now, the Lord's with Joseph. She is lying like a Persian rug, man. And the rest of them are like a snail going across that Persian rug with tennis shoes on. You can't hear them saying nothing. They're just standing over there. You see anything? You see anything? You see anything? <laughs> There's a kid one day got killed out in the projects, man. And I mean, 12 gauge to the, to the head. I mean, literally right there. Places full of people. We come up there when that, I don't mean to laugh, but he's laying there and he'd, he'd seen better days. And, and we're going around, you go around there and try to do a canvas. And everybody, they're standing right there. Did you see anything? Nobody saw anything. Happened right there. 
Well, that's what happens here. Nobody saw anything. Nobody said anything. Nobody opens their mouth. Nobody will defend him. Nobody will step up for him. Nobody will say anything about his great record. Can I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen? He had not done a single thing wrong, and everything he had touched, he was like the Midas man. Everything had turned to gold. Everything had been perfect, and you would have wanted him as an employee. Nothing he had done in his history was even considered when the accusation was made. You ever had that happen to you? Been a good employee for 10 years, somebody all of a sudden makes an accusation, they don't even consider 10 years and never been a problem. Well, you know what winds up happening? And I think the reason that the captain did it, I think the reason he did it is because he didn't want to sleep on the couch. But you know what he said? He said, put him in prison. He could have killed him. I think he believed Joseph, but we'll find out later on. I'm not going to go visit him because both of them ain't where we're going. But at any rate, and they come up to the great white throne. Excuse me, Lord, I just want a real quick question. I just want to ask you a question before you go and burn forever in the lake of fire. <laughs> Did you believe Joseph? <laughs> Thank you. I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> and Joseph goes to prison. Been a while since I told you, but he's on the way to the palace. Mike and back. He's down there in prison and you know what happens. He works around a while down there and eventually things begin to turn in his direction and the guy that's given charge over him, the captain says, put him in charge of this and that and the other and watch what happens. And boy, things begin to flourish and blossom. He comes by one morning at breakfast again and there's a couple of boys over there, a baker and a butler, and they're eating. I'm about done now. Give me about an hour and I'll be through. And they're scooping the stuff on their plate there and they're scovelling it up and they're talking about a dream. And old Joseph walks by and they said, hey man, don't you know something about dreams? And Joseph said, I don't want to talk about dreams, man. <laughs> he said, that stuff will get you in trouble, man. I don't. He said, no, man, come on. Once you end after a couple of days, he finally capitulates. And, you know, he says to him, he says, well, he said, I, God's the one that knows the interpretation. And he said, okay. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If I'll interpret your dream, if when you get out, you put a word in for me with the big boss. And they say, sure, man, sure, man, you know, no problem. You know how they are in prison. They make you all kind of promises. And then when they forget it, you forget, you get out, they forget you existed. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. They're your buddy when you're in there. But once you get out, they forget you. Anyway, and so he goes over there and he gives them the interpretation of the dream. You know what happens before you crack open the next chapter? They wind up getting out. He says, well, you're going to wind up to the baker. He says, you're going to wind up dying. They're going to hang you from a tree and stretch your neck. And the other one, he said, you're going to be back up there and taking care of the king. You'll be his butler again. And then all of a sudden, they let him out. And two more years. He's sitting in prison two more years on the way to the palace. You ever have somebody betray you? You ever have somebody promise to do something for you and not do it? Yes, sir. I got a few real friends, but you don't know they're real friends until they have to kind of get outside their comfort zone to help you out a little bit. Sometimes it's like being married. You don't know they really love you until they're willing to do something out of their way to show you. I mean, after all, isn't that what the Lord did? Didn't he go a little out of his way? And he didn't have to. Well, so anyway, uh, one day the Pharaoh wakes up, man. He's had a dream, man, and it's a, it's a bad one, man. He's, he's sitting there thinking about, you know, the corn, the good corn, the bad corn. The blight got in it, and the bugs got in it, and the weevils got in it, and ate it up, and that kind of a deal. And he tries to get them to interpret the dream, and he knows they're lying, they're mouse moving. And he said, I'm no big deal at all. And then he goes to bed the next couple of nights, and he has a nightmare. I guess it would be a nightmare. I mean, when you have fat cows eating skinny cows and stuff like that, man, that sounds like Night of the Living Dead or something, man. <laughs> Zombie cows eating other cows, man. And I mean, that's enough to keep you awake for a while. I mean, I wouldn't want to go to sleep if I had a dream like that. I'd cure you from wanting to eat steak for a while anyway. And so all of a sudden he comes up there and he says, you know, the butler's pouring him a glass of wine there. And he says to him, he said, uh, excuse me, sir. He said, uh, I could ask you a question here. And he said, uh, remember when you uh, put us down in prison? And by the way, that was a great thing you did there for us. I learned a lot while I was in prison. I appreciate you putting me down there and that kind of a thing. It was a, it was a great learning experience for me, Pharaoh. Thank you for doing that. But there was a boy we met down there. And he told us the dream, and it came true, I mean, right down to the fine point. 
And Pharaoh said, why are you just now telling me about it? And he said, well, it sort of slipped my mind. He said, well, uh, you think you can find him? He said, oh, he stands out, man. He ain't the same color we are, and he don't speak the same language. And he said, all you have to do is look for any place in the prison that's prosperous, and that boy will be right in the middle of it. Jojo or Jahasi or something. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember what his name is. He said, go get him. And they shave him, and they get him cleaned up and all that kind of stuff. And he comes up there in front of Pharaoh. Now, let me ask you a question. After what he's been through on the way to the palace and you're getting called to see the big boss, what would you be thinking? He's there for the rest of his life. You know that, right? There's, he didn't commit a crime. He's a slave. He's a prisoner. And he's going to be a prisoner the rest of his life. And you got called into the palace. What are you thinking? Oh, my dream's coming true. <laughs> or are you thinking... Today's the day, man. I'm roasted, man. I'm done. And they're shaving me up and cleaning me up and take me out there and pray me, do a perp walk with me and make it look like it's something it ain't, man. They beat the tar out of me out here and they got me looking shiny as a new penny come out there and all the cameras are rolling and stuff like that. And we've taken good care of him but we're going to have to go ahead and chop his head off. That's what I'd be thinking. I wouldn't be thinking my worst moment is going to be my best moment. And Joseph goes out there, and as soon as he gets out there, he's in front of Pharaoh there, and he bows down there to Pharaoh, and he said, Yes, sir, uh, what can I do for you, sir? And he said, I understand you interpret dreams. And Joseph said, No, no, no. He said, uh, All due respect, sir. God's the one that does that. Talk to him, okay? I'll see you later. I'm, I'm good. Hey, what's the problem? He said, That's why I'm where I'm at now, these stinking dreams. About going to heaven when I die. About life without pain, without agony, without hurt, with a fixed up mind and a fixed up body, and perfect love. And yeah, I can see why the people think you're crazy. And he said, uh, no, thank you, sir. And he said, no, he said, I'm going to have you to interpret the dreams. And Joseph says, okay, I'll talk to the Lord about it. And he tells him the dreams there. And then Joseph lays the whole thing out there for him. And that thing hits him. That's a strange thing. All he did was tell him the dream. Why didn't he send him back to prison? Unless somebody had moved on that Pharaoh's heart. And said, uh, you might want to do something with that boy. How do you know? Well, I know, I know fathers and daughters. He didn't even ask his daughter about marrying that boy. He gave her to him. Something must have clicked. Or she was some kind of ugly one. I mean, maybe her nickname was Two-Ton Hannah. I don't know. She went to see Omar the tent maker for her, you know, wedding gown. I, I don't know. I, I'm just saying... But what I think is, is the Lord put something in that boy's heart and said, man, there's something about this boy that stands out. By now, 30, 28 years have gone by. 28 years. Since he was 17. Where do you get that? Usher's and Unger's chronology in the top? 28 years. He ain't hit the palace yet. <laughs> and all of a sudden, old Pharaoh reaches down there. He says uh, to the whole congregation, he said, y'all recognize that? Oh, yeah, man, that's the king's ring. He said, come here, Joseph. And he slipped it on his finger. And he said, come here, honey, I've been praying for you a good man, and there ain't a stinking Egyptian around that's good enough to have you. But here's a boy right here. You know that's a Gentile, right? And you know he's the beginning of the Jews, right? There's a picture there. You say, why? The only one fit to marry you is a Jewish boy called Jesus. And the Father gave you away. And he said, come here, honey. Meet your husband. 
And they wind up getting married, and Joseph goes around there, and he says, now what do we need to do, Joseph? And he said, well, he said, you're going to have seven bad, uh, good years and seven bad years. He said, you better lay up everything you possibly can. Well, you know the story. Let me cut it short here, okay? And they lay up the seven good years, and during those seven good years, them boys ain't been down to Egypt. Now you've got something like 33 or 34 years that have gone by, and you get two years into the famine. And two years into the famine, in that second half of that 14-year span, so you're up nine years now, you get two years into that famine, and old Jake looks around to his boys. You know what he says? He says, uh, y'all better go down to Egypt. They got corn down there. And all of a sudden, they show up down there in Egypt, and they're talking that funny language, and they go and say, man... We don't know where these people come from, but they sound like you used to sound when you was around here. We don't know their language, which you probably do. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll stand over here behind the curtain. He said, just get him a talk. I'll listen what's going on. And he peeps through the curtain right there, and he said, well, I'll be jumped. He said, look what the cat drug in. That's my brother's. Now, I want you to think about something for just a second now, okay? If your brothers had put you through all of that, and you had the power to destroy them, what do you reckon you'd do? I mean, revenge is, can be kind of sweet, can't it? And Joseph says, give them some corn and put a cup in there and give them some corn and do this. And you know those guys? No, don't worry about that. Just do what I tell you to do. And they do what he says to do. And Joseph comes up there. The next time they come in looking for some more food, he pulls another trick on them. And it gets him so upset, he goes in the back, takes off his crown, man, and he's back there just weeping, just bawling, boy. It's tore him up. They finally come in there and finally Joseph can't stand it anymore and he walks out there and he reveals himself and he says to them, he says, uh, do y'all know who I am? And they're like, yeah, you're the next to Pharaoh and all that kind of stuff. And he takes off the Egyptian stuff and he said, you recognize me now? Man, can you imagine their face? And it goes from astonishment to absolute fear. Because they know that they intended for him to die and they figure I'm, he's going to do what I would do and he's going to kill us. And Joseph says, how's daddy doing? He's still alive? Benjamin's sitting there. He said, I'll tell you what you do. Go back there and get, get daddy and bring him. Or they come down there and they say, daddy, Joseph is alive. And he said, yeah, I ain't going to believe it till I see it. Boy, them wagons come down there and Joseph can't stand it. He rides out there to meet him. And boy, you talk about a grand reunion. And old Jake goes in there to see his daddy. I mean, to see Pharaoh. And they say, man, we've heard all about you. Your son's been bragging on you and talking about you. And so on and so forth. Man, you're a great patriarch. Tell us something, man. And he said, few and evil have been the years of my pilgrimage. I ain't got nothing to brag about. Well, by the time now you're in Genesis 50 and a period of about 40 years has gone by, and in Genesis chapter number 50 there, daddy dies, Jake dies, and the boys get together again. They're bad about it. Whenever they get together, they can't keep their mouth shut, and they're sitting there talking. And what they say to each other is the equivalent of this. Now that daddy's gone, and now that daddy's not going to hold back Joseph from destroying us, uh, he's going to kill us, sure enough, going to kill us. That's in my Bible on the left-hand page down about three-quarters of the way there. And he comes in there, and they come up, and Joseph, and they're down there bowed down in front of Joseph and that kind of deal, and he ain't bringing no food this time. Genesis 50. And guess what happens? They all say, now, Joseph, hold on just a minute now. Now, Daddy wouldn't want you to hurt us, and we did wrong, and we shouldn't have done it, and so on and so forth, but you know, you've you got to be careful now. Daddy wouldn't have, Daddy wouldn't have wanted to, to hurt us now. <laughs> Watch old Joseph's character show up. You know what that says in that passage? Y'all meant it for evil. And he pauses. And they're thinking, here it comes. About that time, men with some spears and swords come in the back of the room. And he's thinking, well, judgment day. But then he says the most definitive thing in his life. 
God meant it for good. A funny path to the palace. Nearly 40 years before he realizes the dream God gave him and there are his brothers bowed down in front of him and there's Jake and the family bowed down in front of him. There's the sun and the moon and the stars. There's the sheep. There's the sheep standing over there. There's the twinkle, twinkle little star standing over there. And about 40 years after that thing started at 17, God meant it for good. And there they are, the dream fulfilled. 40 years to get to the palace, to see the dream realized. I was at a meeting this year, finished preaching along these lines. Preacher taking me back to the hotel phone rang. I can hear in the background familiar sound to me as a siren you know, yelping in the background. Sounds like deer dogs running a deer, you know. Yo, 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 yo. Loud like that. And I can hear him and he's holding the phone away from that and there's a lady on there. She's kind of half hollering just to be heard over the thing. She's not really in a lot of distress and Yes, ma'am, sister. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. She kept saying, yes, ma'am. I understand. What hospital are you headed to? So on and so forth. She says on the, on the phone, she says, preacher, I can hear her plain as day. She says, I got to the house. She said, I fell down. I, I'm, a hem, I'm a hemorrhaging. I'm a hemorrhaging. I'm a hemorrhaging. She was from the South. I guess you could tell that. I'm a, hemor- I'm a hemorrhaging preacher. And he said, well, are you on the way to the hospital? Yeah, we'll come over to the hospital. And he said, let me run the preacher by the hotel. I said, no, man, I'll go with you. No, let's go. Take a light out, man. Go see her, man. And all how serious it is and that kind of a deal. She said, oh, preacher, you didn't hear what that feller said tonight. And he said, what did he say? He said, she said, that feller that was up there tonight preaching, you didn't hear what he said, preacher? She said, I don't need you to come to the, to the hospital tonight. She said, I'm on the way to the palace. I'm going to write that one down. Boy, she got it. Yeah, I fell down. I'm hemorrhaging now. I'm an old woman. She survived, by the way, just to let you know it was a good ending of the story. But the illustration is everything that happens in your life, God has a purpose to it. And you hadn't arrived at the palace yet. And sometimes between here and the palace, it can be a rough road to hoe, gentlemen and ladies. And I wish I could tell you otherwise, and I wish I could prepare you for better news, what's coming in the future. But I'm telling you, what you've got to hold on to and what you've got to make sure that you don't ever forget is God's got you and you're going to get to the palace when God's good and ready for you to get to the palace. But we may have some rough rows coming. And don't you forget, no matter what row you happen to be in, talk about plowing now. I don't care what it is you're plowing. Don't you forget, you're on the way there and you're going to get you. He's going to get you there one day. And everything along the way is just a matter of time. But I wish I could guarantee you, but I can tell you this. Some of you are going through stuff now. Some of you are struggling right now to make it from day to day, to put one foot in front of the other, to to continue to just take a breath. And you don't need to have the sin preached out of you and the hell preached out of you and stop this and quit that and don't do this and don't do that. That's all good preaching and that's all very badly needed. But you know what you need now? You need your faith increase to realize that just because you're saved doesn't mean there won't be trouble down here. There won't be trials. The trouble and the trials, not the sin, that's where your faith's needed. You know when you do wrong. And fighting that, that's good. Keep fighting it. But it's when those other things come up. That's the trial of your faith. That's when it's hard to keep coming to church and keep reading my Bible and to keep praying and keep doing what's right to do. I'm fixing to turn it over here to you, Pastor, in just a second here, but I want you to consider this tonight. Christians are slow sometimes asking God for help. We're slow. We're we're stubborn. We we think we're supposed to be this bulwark of faith. Can I tell you one of the sweetest things that a daddy has ever heard or a mama has ever heard is when that kid says, can you help me please? Not I got it. I don't need you. Leave me alone. You know what they like to hear? Can you help me? 
I like seeing sometimes people I've known for a long time, they come up and I try to be kind or try to be courteous and they, they do this. I'm talking about grown men. We ain't queer or nothing, but they're, it, ain't, it ain't like this, you know, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, good to see you, you know, making sure you, it's, man, I'm sure glad you're here. Meet them at the hospital. You walk into the door of the room and they get up off of that chair, man, and they come walking at you, preacher. Preacher, can you help me? What do you think it is if we can experience that down here as human beings? What do you think it is for your heavenly father when you look up at him and you say, can you help me? What do you think he's like? Suck it up. Or do you think maybe he might just hear your prayer? No comfort like his comfort. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we close out the meeting for tonight, a little bit of a different kind of a start, that we might pause, wander, think on these things in the life of one of your greatest prophets that are in the Bible, one of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible, and how life must have been tough, hard, difficult for him, especially when it came to faith. Ask, Lord, that maybe tonight individuals that are gathered here might pause for a minute. We're going to need it, Lord. I know it's coming. I'm sure of it. Things are going to happen that we don't understand. And they're going to occur for good people that love the Lord, that believe the book, that are doing what needs to be done. And it's going to happen. And we're going to doubt. And we're going to stumble. And God, would you please help us in the difficult times to come. Help us, Lord, even to start now to get you to help us. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.